Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who comforts us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Here uh, again, uh, just a portion of our epistle lesson. For there is no distinction, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be both just and justifier of the one who has, fought, has faith in Jesus. So far our text. So this morning, um, we reflect on a historical event within the church, the Reformation. And to maybe help us reflect on the importance of that event, I want to uh, direct your attention to our bulletin cover today uh, as we look at it. It's a painting by a 20th, 20th century artist named uh, Michael Matthias uh, Prechtel, right? Um, uh, it was made for the cover of Oswald Byers. Um, uh, uh, biography of Martin Luther, but Prechtel was a, a German who actually fought in World War II on the Eastern Front. He ended up being a POW of Soviet Russia, right? And so Prechtel probably uh, knew quite a bit about sin. He knew a lot about warfare, bloodshed, suffering. Now, admittedly, I don't know much about Prechtel, what he believed, or how he approached the great reformer, Martin Luther, how he lived in faith, if he believed in Jesus. But if you look closely at his portrait of Luther, you can see that this man understood about the ravages of sin, as Luther did himself. Because if you look closely at this painting, and you get kind of the basic Martin Luther pose of Martin Luther standing there pointing at a Bible, but click, quickly, you see this isn't like your normal, generic Luther portrait. Because spread across Luther's clothing, you see an image of warfare. It's a depiction of one of the most devastating and painful events to happen around the Reformation. It's a depiction of the Peasants' Revolt that took place in 1524. It's a war that takes place in the German around the time of the Reformation, where the peasants revolt against the landed gentry, the nobility, and nearly 100,000 peasants are killed in battle. It was probably one of the most horrible, bloody, and shocking events in the lifetime of Martin Luther. Of course, this revolt took place during the same time that Luther was working on his reforms in the church, and because of that, Many people blamed Martin Luther for it. They would say, oh, that Luther and his rhetoric, he stirred up the peasants. See what happens? Or Luther sided with the nobility and he emboldened them to be so cruel on the battlefield. Or Luther's teaching on the priesthood of all believers and Christian freedom has driven the people mad so that they strike up and revolt against God. And even though there were many factors that led to the peasants' revolt, even though most of what the peasants complained about were economic and political realities, not theological. Even though Luther's theology was against open revolt and encouraged submission to authority, 
Martin Luther felt much of the blame and felt much of the guilt. And that's what makes the heart of this painting on your bulletin cover so beautiful. Because there standing between the warning factions is Jesus. The crucified Lord of heaven and earth stands preeminently over Luther's heart. And what is he doing? What is our Lord Jesus doing in this beautiful picture? He's shedding his blood. And as that blood pours out, it runs onto the pages of the Bible. And that's what Luther points us to. It's the blood that was shed for sinners. It's that blood that is proclaimed to us through the words of Scripture. That's what Luther has to say about the peasants' revolt. That's what Luther has to say about sin because that's what the Bible has to say about sin. The Reformation is about pointing sinners to the blood of Jesus. That really is the heart and soul of what the Reformation was all about. It's about the free gift of forgiveness that God gives through the death of Jesus. That's why over 505 years ago, Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses on the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg. That's why Martin Luther faced excommunication and death and would not recant a single word of what he was teaching. That's why many Christians after him faced war, financial ruin, death, and many other difficulties in their defense of this truth. They were standing in defense of the teaching upon which the church stands and falls, that justification being made right before God is a gift that is received through faith in Jesus Christ alone. To be justified is to be declared good, holy, and righteous by God. The way that God justifies people is to forgive their sins. The way that God forgives sinners is by sending his son to die for them. And that's because our sins are costly and destructive. Sin is a big deal. That's what Martin Luther was very acutely aware of. He heard what the Bible says about sin that it earns death and hell. He heard that all of sin and falls short of the glory of God. He knew that Jesus was going to be the judge of all humanity and that those who remained in their sin, Jesus would say to them, depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Upon hearing this, Martin Luther was afraid. And he actually wrote, this is a quote, I did not love, yes, I hated the righteous God, who punishes sinners, and secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly murmuring greatly, I was angry with God. He was angry. Because he knew what his sin was. He knew how that weighed upon him, his heart, his conscience. And he knew what it did between his relationship with God. And so Luther, he had to dig his way out of it, he thought. He got to work. He started to find a way within the church to be justified. He became a monk. He devoted himself to prayer and biblical study. He made a pilgrimage to Rome. He prayed to all the saints and all the relics of the saints. He would spend hours in confession. He would starve himself. He would beat himself. Nothing covered that fear of God's judgment. He could not justify himself. He couldn't make himself right. And he knew that God was aware of all of his sins. 
And even though he lived as a monk and a priest in God's church, no one was teaching what we just learned from Romans chapter 3. And so the weight of his sin had to be managed by him. The weight of sin was managed by men. And see, in Luther's day, the church was all about managing sin like it was a bank account. They agreed that all have sinned, and they would say that remission for those sins was achieved in various ways. You know, a person would be baptized. That would take away the initial guilt of sin, but not the punishment. No, people needed to work off that punishment, and for that, a person had to go and spend time in purgatory. And this is where sin would be burned out of a person by fire for an unknown and usually ridiculously long period of time. And so they would go to Mass, they would go to confession, they would be assigned penance by the priest, and there, if, there, if there was more, they would always be more. They could pray to the saints, they could observe the holy days, they could venerate the relics, they could get a little bit more time off, and finally, there was always, you could purchase an indulgence, a piece of paper that would give a person time off of purgatory. Yet more likely than not, a person expected when they die to meet an angry Jesus. They devised all these ways to justify themselves. How often do we devise ways to justify ourselves? How often do we make ways to work off our sins, to make sure our measures balance out, to prove we're righteous, to demonstrate how faithful we are? Yeah, we don't buy and sell indulgences. We don't worship obscure relics from the Holy Land. But man's sinful impulse is always to justify himself, and it's never completely abated. No, we're just less pious about it all. In our day and age, it's just easier to justify ourselves by saying that there's no such thing as sin. So the only sins that exist are those things that we don't normally do. It's the things that all those other people do. And so we point at all of those people, and we point out what's wrong with all of the people over there, so that we feel secure in ourselves. And we play the, at least I'm not that. It's those Democrats or those liberals, those right-wing nutjobs, those commies, those big corporations, those dirty politicians, it's them. And then we say how virtuous we are over here. We say the right catchphrases. We campaign for the right social causes. We vote for the right people. We feign anger at all the right bad actors. But most importantly, we're not them. Self-justification lives continually. And no matter how much of this we do, just like Martin Luther, we cannot justify ourselves before God. Luther found this out the hard way. Because none of what he did eliminated his fear of God's wrath. And it was not until he opened up the scriptures and read what we read today that he fully understood how it all works. None of what we can do can be the propitiation for our sins. None of it can appease the wrath of God that our sins earn for us. See, propitiation is that big word we read in our epistle lesson today, and it means to appease wrath. It means to satisfy a broken score. And so the church in Luther, in Luther's day, was half right. God's wrath against sin, it's a big deal. It has to be appeased, 
It has to be taken care of. Every person is subject to it because every person is a sinner. As we read, all have sinned. So where they went wrong is how that wrath is appeased. You see, the church in Luther's day thought that sin was something that could be managed. They thought it was something that could be controlled and counterbalanced through works of devotion and spiritual disciplines. But that really cheapens what sin is. Today, Jesus says in our gospel lesson, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. That means that sin can possess a person. A person cannot control sin any more than a slave can control his master. And not only that, a person's fate is tied to his master. The only way to be relieved from the punishment and the wrath of sin is to be freed from it. It's not something that we can control. It's not something we can manage. It's not like a bank account where we can make deposits to covet our debits. There is no deposit that a man could make that could ever cover what he owes before God. And so left to ourselves, our accounts are in the deep red. They are negative. That's why our epistle lesson teaches us, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being is justified. That's why Jesus says this, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What Jesus is saying here is that the only way to be free from our sins is for Jesus to give us our freedom from sin. He has to purchase us from our former master. And for this, there is a steep price that must be paid. Wrath against our sin has to be satisfied. We have to be bought. And that is done only in the blood of Jesus. Only in the death of the perfect Son of God can a person say, I am free from my sin. No amount of penance, no amount of devotion, no amount of spiritual discipline, no amount of moral finagling can cover what the blood of Jesus covers. He is the price. He is the propitiation. He is the one who appeases all the wrath that our sin earns for us. And just like our sin is a big deal, God's love is a bigger deal. And that is what the gospel is all about. It's all about the massive love of God and how that love works to free us from our sin. Jesus dies on the cross to save sinners. That's what it takes. That is the cost, no less than God dying. No other payment would be sufficient. The righteous one dies for the unrighteous ones. I could walk barefoot from here, over the mountains, across the country, with no clothes and no food, to show my devotion to God, and that would not cover what I owe. No, the righteous needs to die for the unrighteous. Once and for all, every sin that was ever committed or ever be, will be committed is placed on Jesus. He's the sin bearer. He is the eternal son of God and he bears our sin upon himself and he dies. 
He suffers the wrath that would be deserved for us. It is what we deserve. It's what we earn. He didn't deserve it. Yet, as the scriptures say, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. And he's crucified. He experienced the hell that is reserved for us as he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The hell that we deserve, he endured for our sake. The wrath of God, it's appeased only in Jesus. It is in his gracious giving of himself for us. That's where the price is paid once and for all. And to prove this point, what does Jesus do after he bears the wrath, after he suffers the cross, after he dies? Well, he rises from the dead. As he breathes his last breath upon the cross and is laid in the grave, he does not remain in the grave. He rises for our justification. It's an idea that stems from pure arrogance. To think that we could do anything to match what is done for us on the cross of Jesus. It is foolish to think that we can find atonement for any one of our sins in anything other than the blood of Jesus. It's also dangerous. It's dangerous to think that we can somehow match Christ in his propitiation for us. No human being can truly justify themselves before God on their own. We cannot make ourselves righteous. We cannot prove how holy we are, how worthy we are, or anything. And what we think, say, or do, it is Jesus alone. He can and he does justify sinners. He places that promise before us as a gift that is received by faith. And so just like that painting on our bulletin cover of Martin Luther, our lives are stained with sin. And it may not be something as drastic and ugly as the Peasants' Revolt, but make no mistake, it is probably ugly. As we are often consumed with covetousness or jealousy, or anger, or lust, or hatred, or greed, or any number of other sins that stick to us like mud to a shovel. And no amount of work on our part will clean it off. Now it's only the blood of Christ. That's the only thing that can free us and cover us with something new. As we would be covered with our sins, Christ covers us with his righteousness, his obedience, his holiness. His perfection, his love, and that's received by faith. As St. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God of salvation to everyone who believes. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In other words, the gospel of Jesus is the promise that God forgives our sins. Jesus died for me. Jesus forgives me. I receive that promise by believing in it. I don't pay for it. I don't work for it. I don't have to travel to Rome or Jerusalem in order to pick it up for myself. I do not need a dead saint to pray for me that I might find it. I simply believe in what God has done. I believe that I am a sinner. I believe that my sins are against God. I believe that Jesus is the God who takes on flesh to die for my sin. I trust in what Jesus promises to me. 
and to hear what Jesus says and to trust in what Jesus says for me and in me, that is faith. The great poet of the Reformation, Paul Sparatus, puts it this way. He says, good works cannot avert our doom. They help and save us now. Their faith looks to Jesus Christ alone, who did for all the world atone. He is our one redeemer. That is the faith that Luther confessed in the Reformation. That forgiveness of sins comes to us as a gracious gift of God that is to be received by faith. It does not come to us in any other way, and if it did, it would rob Christ of the praise and the glory that is due to him. It would rob the cross of the power and the Christ's blood of its significance. No, it's by faith in Jesus Christ alone that makes us holy and righteous before God. It cannot be anything else. Nothing could ever come close to the price that Jesus pays to redeem us from our sins. It's Jesus, Jesus, more Jesus, and Jesus only. And that is so good. That is so good for us. As Jesus is the only one who can do it. He's the only one who can back up his promises with something more valuable and more wonderful than anything anyone could offer us. He backs it up with his cross, his blood, his broken body, his empty tomb, his risen glory. All of these things are poured out upon you. All of those things are freely given to you. The entire treasury of heaven is poured out upon sinful people like you and me for no other reason than that Jesus loves you. And you receive that gift simply by trusting that Jesus loves you. When we are baptized, when we confess our sins, when we eat and drink the body and blood of our Lord, whenever we hear the gospel and believe it, we are receiving all the benefits, all the blessings that Christ has earned for us. And it's all received by faith. We trust in Jesus. We trust in what God says about us. We trust in what God has done for us. We believe that what Jesus did for us is true. And you have it. And we confess that faith. We confess that faith as we're in worship today. We confess that faith as we stand before the Lord. We confess that faith as we stand before the world. Just as Luther did, we confess that we're sinners who are forgiven by Jesus. And just like the painting, where Luther points to the blood-soaked pages of the scriptures, we point to the blood of Jesus. We point to what that blood promises us. And by faith, we cling to those promises. We find hope and consolation, joy and comfort, boldness and strength, and nothing less than Jesus' blood spilled for sinners. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, Bless and preserve us as we live by faith in the gracious sacrifice of Jesus. Help us to never put confidence in our own works, but to find rest in your grace alone. And as we receive forgiveness and pardon for our sins, help us to cling to your promises that you have delivered to us through your holy scriptures. May we rejoice in knowing that Jesus alone is our Savior. Give us strength, O Lord, in that bold and confident promise. In the name of Jesus.
Amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith to life everlasting. In the name of Jesus. Amen.